Welcome to CouncilCast, news bites and insights from the Council of Insurance Agents and Brokers. My name is Jen Urso with the Council. Joining me today is Martha Noteritz, partner at XL Innovate. XL Innovate is the venture fund in which XL Catlin is a so limited partner. Martha, thank you so much for being here today. Pleasure. So let's just get right to it. Uh, you attended InsureTech Connect last week with uh, my colleague and I as well. And just curious on what a couple of takeaways and highlights that you took away from that meeting. Well, I think uh, certainly one of them was it was four times the size that it was the prior year. I so that too. Absolutely. A lot of continued interest in InsureTech. And I think that interest is really coming from both the investment side and from incumbent insurers who want to partner with the startups. And I think that second part is really what I saw as a big difference from the prior year. Mm -hmm. I feel like last year we were still talking about the InsurTech ecosystem disrupting the incumbent insurers, and now there are just a lot of partnerships where each party is looking to get something out of a relationship. And I can echo that as well. I heard the same thing that last year the theme or the word of the day was disruption, and that has changed in one year period to really collaboration and partnership, which I think is um, a great sign for us all. Um, or is there anything that surprised you from that event? I saw a lot of these startups that I already knew, mm-hmm. and uh, some of them are starting to get traction. Right. Um, and then I, I saw um, more startups in, um, in slightly different areas. Uh, we started to see the beginnings of uh, some commercial insurance startups. Right. Uh, now that's a particular hot button for me. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, so I'm probably a little sensitized to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that people are starting to think about additional areas within InsureTech instead of I feel like last year there was probably more of a focus on personal lines. A lot of those companies have now launched and are proceeding, but I think that now people are taking a broader view. Is there any um, InsureTech firm that is particularly attractive to you at this moment? My portfolio. (laughs) Right, right. Okay, so moving on. Um, What advice would you give to brokers who want to become more data-driven but aren't sure where to start? Well, I think that the real question for brokers is to understand what data they have. And I think that that is something that it sounds really basic, but I think that if you look at your process from the point of view of your customer and you try to think about what data you have that can make your customer's life easier. Mm-hmm. I think that those are really, um, those. that's a level of value you can deliver. I think the other thing is it's easy to say that the value of a broker is in the personal relationship and the personal touch. But I think you also have to realize that people value their time. And so if you can deliver a user experience where, for example, you can pre-populate more information and then confirm it with the client, that's value. It is, doesn't take up the time of the broker if it is um, automated, but it is in enhancing the overall experience of the, uh, of the buyer. And I think that's something that a lot of the insure tech companies have right, that they recognize right 
whether or not someone only wants to interact with their phone. Yes. At least, I don't think there's any one of us who wants to put in our home address again or right. a, a, the square footage <laughs> yeah. of our home. Yeah. And, and I think that if you can uh, just start moving forward on that, I, I think that really starts making progress. As a venture capitalist, how do you evaluate an InsureTech initiative? So in other words, what qualities make a startup worth investing in? I think we really start with team. And when we look at the team, we look for a couple of things. One of them is um, a level of experience. And in an ideal world, you would have entrepreneurs who have started other businesses or at least been in other entrepreneurial companies. You don't always get that. And in InsureTech, I would say that quite a few of the entrepreneurs uh, are coming at this as their first experience. But one of the things that we look at is to say, is there something convincing in their background in terms of knowledge, which might be technical knowledge or industry knowledge, right. which makes it believable that they can achieve their thesis? Yeah, that's a great point. And I think the other thing is what their... Uh, what their offering is in terms of how we see that fitting with the market, what they've done to understand the market well enough to know that this is achieving something that's not being dealt with in the market, but that the market cares about. And I think the other thing is scale. Right. Uh, not the scale today, because we tend to invest at the seed and series A, so mm -hmm. fairly small. Yes. But really, what can the business become? And for us, we really look for businesses that will be generating at least $100 million in revenue by year five. Okay. What are the biggest challenges for InsureTech companies that you've worked with? One of the big challenges is working with insurers. So... Absolutely, there are insurers in the ecosystem who are trying hard to work with startups. But I think that uh, we, uh, I was at a conference a couple of years ago where someone got a terrific laugh with the expression, moving at the speed of insurance. Oh, right. <laughs> and the interpretation of time by startups versus insurance companies is so different that if a startup calls and asks that they want to have a conversation, they mean today, tomorrow, maybe the next day. And I think one of the things we see is that from an insurer's point of view, they have time on their calendar next month, would that work? And they don't think they're being difficult because that's the way their own organization works. So I think that that moving uh, closer together in terms of that interpretation of time is important. And I think that the decision-making process in general, I think uh, over time, the insurers have gotten quite comfortable with making decisions that take a period of time. And one of the functions of time is that they get comfortable organizationally with a new idea. So I think that that's something that they're using time in a way that I think the startups often think is just wasting time. So I think that that's one of the big uh, issues that I see. The other topic I would probably raise would be regulation and 
uh, the time that it takes to, if you want to be an MGA, you have to either hire licensed people or you have to go get the licenses. I think that for many insurtech startups, they're not necessarily aware of some of the regulations. And I think that's actually been one of the things that's really driven people to work with the established companies, that you can go get paper and you know that it's, uh, it's taken, a lot of those things are taken care of. So we had the privilege of having you speak at our data analytics, analytics panel at our insurance leadership forum today. And you touched upon the role of a translator that's needed from the industry side, from the insure tech firm side. And then I'm thinking it's probably the same for the regulation side. Do you think that's fair to say that those, those entities speak very different languages? Well, I think absolutely they do. And I think that the other thing about that is challenging about the regulatory situation is that, of course, it's all 50 states. One of the things that's been interesting to me is how open some regulators have been to having insurtechs come and talk to them. Obviously, the regulators are bound by their own state regulations. They're not making this up as they go along. Right. They're enforcing what uh, is on the books. But I think that certain regulators have been very open to really understanding. And I think the experience that some of our companies have had has been that as they have gone to various regulators and really walked through the offering, they've been able to get feedback and find out where the hot buttons are and retool before they come in with a final submission. And I think that that has really worked in terms of the give and take. The other thing that interested me is that when one of our companies, which is Slice, and they're providing on-demand insurance for people, for example, who rent their home out on Airbnb. And uh, when the state of California announced that Slice had been approved, at the bottom of the uh, press release, there was a note that there had been 31 startup insurers approved by the Department of Insurance in California this year. So I took that to mean that the regulators are quite conscious that they want to be seen more as open to innovative ideas. And to some extent, there is also competition among the regulators from state to state. So I I actually think they absolutely speak different languages, but I I think that uh, they, they also want to be part of the future. Yeah, going back to the collaboration point, I guess that's um, that's seen in all of these different areas, everyone coming together to understand it and work towards innovation as, as one. Hopefully we're getting there. Um, so the traditional insurance value chain is in transition. Where do you see the role of brokers and carriers evolving to in the next five years? I suspect that one of the things that brokers will do on an ongoing basis is that they will really um, supply into the the chain the highest value of what they do today. So if if where they are starting right now is 100, I would say that in five years, maybe they're only doing 25 or 50% of what they do today, but they're doing the highest value. And one of the things that should mean is that they should be able to handle more clients. Right. And But it's only going to happen if they take advantage of some of the automation and um, some of the other 
developments that are going on right now. So I think that uh, there, there is a continuing role. I think the other thing is when we think about complex risks, and this is a frequent refrain that I hear, well, you know, personal lines are easy, but commercial lines are so complex. And I believe that they are complex. What I don't believe is that 100% of those commercial risks are complex. I think what's going to happen is that parts are going to be parsed out. And so then you will leave the complexity in the hands of the broker um, or of uh, the sophisticated people at the carrier. But a certain amount of that can be done in a much more straightforward way. Is there a part of the insurance value chain that you think presents uh, a greater opportunity for technology disruption? Right now, I would say that the whole value chain is really up for grabs uh, in, in one level because I don't think that much change has taken place mm-hmm. so that I think that, that, that there are a lot of opportunities. And I think if you wanted to look at examples of what could happen in the insurance uh, industry, you could look at banking, for example. So uh, it used to cost... Uh, a decent uh, chunk of money to wire somebody money. And there was a fee to wire somebody money. Now I go on my mobile app and I, I can say send money. It's free and the money is in someone's account in minutes. Mm-hmm. Good example. My children think so too. <laughs> As technology innovation continues to shape the insurance industry, how will hiring strategies change for talent? Well, I I do think that there will be an ongoing need to bring in more people who are very comfortable with technology. I don't think that's necessarily as hard as it sounds, given that the uh, people coming onto the workforce now are digital natives. But I think that you will look at the pie chart of all of your employees, and I think many more of them will be technologists And I think you will also see an influx of data scientists. And I think that there will be a reduction uh, over time in the proportion of actuaries so that you have a combination of actuarial work and data science work. And I'm not sure how that works out because I think that they have somewhat different views of the world. But I, I think that in terms of the actuarial backward-looking analysis, that can really work for certain kinds of risks that are relatively stable. I think that one of the things that we are going into is a period where there are more unpredictable risks. And some of those risks really can be better served through data science. And cyber risk would be an example of that, where you have Uh, what's been described as a cat and mouse uh, approach where literally the the risk itself is shifting. So what you knew about prior attacks does not necessarily inform future attacks. Right. And final question, how is InsureTech impacting emerging markets globally? One of the things that I believe is that InsureTech is delivering against some of the protection gap that we've seen in emerging markets. And one of our portfolio companies is StoneStep, which is providing microinsurance as a service. So what they're doing is they're starting in Southeast Asia, and they are focused on the emerging middle class 
who is not in a position to buy the products that already exist in the market, but they're chunky products that look more like products you might buy in a developed market. So what they are doing is they're breaking those products up so that they can be purchased in smaller slivers, but the difference between having and not having hospitalization coverage could be the difference between your family being able to keep their house or sure. you know getting off that that uh, that ladder towards the middle class. So I think that that's one of the things that we see in the emerging markets. That's pretty cool. Well, Martha, I want to say thank you again for your time today, and thank you for all of our listeners for tuning in to Councilcast News Bites and Insights. Until next time, I'm Jen Arsa. Thank you. Thank you.